and welcome to Floaters Grab a Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Baker, and today we're going to be breaking down the fourth episode of Season 18 of Big Brother, and I'm going to be doing it with my good friend, Zach. Hello, how are you? Alright, so let's jump into the episode. So the first thing of note that happened was that the revolution, that whole alliance, after the whole roadkill deal went down, they immediately jumped to Michelle as the person who won that. And I'm still like, what was their basis for thinking? Like, do they have any solid basis for thinking Michelle was the winner or did they kind of just go off of their guts? Um, whenever they revealed that Paul was the nominee for the roadkill competition, uh, Michelle kind of looked down into her lap like she was trying to hide something. And so they thought it was because she was showing signs of guilt. But that's it. That's all. And I guess I can sort of understand why they'd be uh, sketched out by that. But that seems like such a small thing to base such a big assumption on. Just like where somebody was looking when something was announced. Well, like The revolution's not really known for their intuition. Yeah, they don't generally make the best reads. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another thing that I noticed that this is... Annoyed, uh, it made Paul. Paul annoyed me very much with this, and that's not new. Paul annoys me very often. But it was just when Polly and Bridget were talking, and they were being like a little bit flirty, I guess, and Paul just started freaking out about it. Just like that two people were having a conversation without his permission. <laughs> which, first off, is insane. But what I immediately jumped to was in season 16. Uh, one uh, one of my favorite Devin moments, maybe my favorite Devin moment. Uh, Donnie just told like a couple of jokes that got a few chuckles out of people, and Devin just started freaking the fuck out and going to the bomb squad like, man, Donnie's holding court down there. He's got to be a comedian, and he's got to be an astronaut, and he's got to be from Harvard. This is like and, all this. And special forces, shit. don't forget about oh, that. Oh, and special forces too, of course. The first comedian astronaut special force ranger. That, think, that's uh, actually what I wanted to be when I grew up. Ooh, yeah. similar to me. But uh, I just, I don't know, Paul, he just needs to chill. Like, I don't get why. I'm just so upset about two people having a conversation. I mean, just really nothing happened. <laughs> It's just Paul being, you know, his little man syndrome, where he, he's just angry at the world, angry with everyone. Always has to be top dog. And I do feel like with this episode, you know, we've been talking about, like, how can the revolution be so dumb and just, like, have not understand that they don't have the votes. And I think this episode finally clued me in on where, so like, where their biggest, uh, like, their biggest weakness and thought is is that they're putting way too much importance onto this team's twist. They keep being like, ah, you know, uh, Davon's got to be with us because, you know, we're, we're on a team together. You know, she would never vote against someone who's uh, on her team. And you had uh, you had the deal where there's like, oh, we don't know if we can trust Bridget to vote out Polly, you know, because they're on a team together and they would never vote each other out. Like, I feel like that's really where they're going wrong. Like... It to me, it seems like this team's twist is pretty much meaningless, though. 
Like, what would you say? Honestly, I totally forgot that there was a, a team <laughs> twist until they had to compete for the, the latest HOH competition. I, it's just like, uh, it, it it literally has no impact on the game other than uh, certain people having to throw HOH so that way they could take out people on their own team. That's literally it. Yeah, it's just, it's not a very influential twist. And, like, I get it, with a bunch of people who very proudly have never watched Big Brother before. No, they've watched 16. Oh, yeah, they they watched one season. Because, Brandon, as you can remember, season 16 was full of wonderful gameplay and really interesting feeds and lots of strategists and good players. Oh, there was amazing strategists. There was Derek... And there was there. There was Caleb. There was that undercover cop. There was that. There, father. there was Pow Pow. Remember her? <laughs> oh my God, she was the goat. Uh, okay, actually, I'm not being fair. Frankie, like as much as I hate him, was actually a very good player and a good strategist. But I, he's not good enough to like, I guess, be mentioned there though. Uh, but one player who is a lot better than, uh, or at least. Is a lot more entertaining than Frankie. Uh, I don't know if he's better just yet. Uh, is Frank. And I'm really... Like, this episode is really, like, pushing... Like, I'm already liking what I'm seeing from him. I think he's a good player. And this episode's pushing me even farther into that. Just in, like... He's really doing a great job of getting in good with the revolution. And, like, making him think that uh, they're on his side. Like, I really like that he is the foresight. To not be, like... Davon kind of has the tendency. I mean, she's in good with them, um, if only because uh, she's on the team. But she very much has the tendencies to never want to talk to anyone that she's not aligned with and she's not friends with. And I like that Frank, like, he actively tries to go around the whole house and talk to everybody and make as many friends as he can. And I really like um, uh, what I'm seeing there with him socially. Oh yeah, his social game, like, I haven't seen a social game this good since Andy Heron. Like, he is, he's such good friends with everyone in the house. Because I think, you know, Frank's not that old, he's only in his early 30s, but he's kind of giving off this, like, uh, a mentor, older, wiser person. Like a big house. brother, sort of, big yeah. brother, of course, but older sibling. <laughs> yeah, like, everyone kind of looks to him, like, even if they're not aligned with him, they really like, just, uh... <clears throat> Spending time with him in the house, whether it's game-related or not, he's just a good person to have. Yeah, absolutely. Really loving Frank right now. And I also, like, I love that he's using that spot of, like, power he has as kind of that older sibling role to just make people nicer in general. I've seen a ton of instances of just people will start to say mean things, and Frank will just cut that shit out immediately. And tell him, like, hey, hey, don't say that. That's not fair. That's not fair. Like, she's a good person. Or don't say that about him. Yeah. And, like, I really respect that he would go and do that. Yeah, I love any player that that does that. Because mm-hmm. whenever you start to bash people personally in the game, that's when things turn south really quick. Mm-hmm. And I also want to give Natalie credit for that, too. Yes. I think Natalie's been very good about that as well. But we're going to move on to the veto competition that we saw which was the Dizzy Dog competition. Oh, Glenn would have loved this competition. Oh, he, he was made for this competition. Rest in peace. Uh, rest in peace. I, he, he can still come back. <laughs> uh, but we'll see. But uh, basically, they had to spin around 15 times. Uh, after that, they had, to, they had 45 seconds to basically try and stack these puzzle pieces up. Uh, 
in a contraption. I'm not going to go into too much detail explaining it. Uh, after it, basically they had to run back and hit a button before the 45 seconds uh, ended, uh, so it wouldn't the puzzle wouldn't get destroyed. So the the idea was that you were running back and forth and trying to do as much of the puzzles you could in that time frame, and then spin around some more and go back. Uh, and the winner ended up being Paul. And that was one of the strangest competition wins I've ever seen in Big Brother. In that he so clearly was doing something that was not intended by the competition <laughs> makers. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's supposed to be this puzzle where, because it, like, it's bones, but they're built like puzzle pieces. Where, you know, you're supposed to lean them up against each other. There's grooves and stuff to, like, get, like, a good balance. But he, he didn't go for any of that. He just, like, smashed everything together and just, like, balanced everything and stuffed it and then just ran to the buzzer as quickly as possible. And, like, I don't know whether I want to say that... Like, I don't know if I want to give him credit for, like, thinking outside of the box and pulling out a win or if I want to say that he just had, like, an idiot caveman mentality and that's literally the only competition in the history of the show that that would have worked in. You know what it really reminded me of? Do you remember that old episode of Spongebob whenever Spongebob and Patrick are painting Mr. Krabs' house? And, yes. And they get paint on the dollar, and then Patrick's like, don't worry, Spongebob, we have technology, and then proceeds to beat the dollar with the computer. <laughs> that's kind of what I... That's how I felt whenever Paul just crammed all those bones together and made it work. But it worked for him. I mean, I... I mean, good for him. I mean, at the very least, he did, you know, he did think outside of the box. He got something done. You know, I had heard uh, on the feeds leading up to this week, people saying that, oh, you know, it was kind of a fluke that Paul won. So we don't really have to worry about that happening. And I was just sitting there like, you know, oh, well, that's not fair. Like, no competition win is ever really a fluke unless it was just a straight luck competition. And then I watched this episode, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that was a fluke that he won that. <laughs> but I do have to give props for Jose's bone sculpture. What was Jose? That was the most flimsy possible structure he, he could He was make. going for artistic value. Ugh. Like, in everything he does, Jose can't make a single intelligent decision. <laughs> like, anytime they ask, Jose, you have two options. He will always go with the wrong one. It's mind-boggling how awful this guy is at this game. <laughs> so after we have this competition and Paul ends up claiming the veto, we do see uh, Tiffany finally comes out uh, to Polly about being uh, Vanessa's sister. And, you know, I feel like it was a little bit late. I wish that she had done this earlier. I feel like it's always better to do these, thing, uh, do these things earlier. But I really do like, again, this is something I feel like she's borrowing from Vanessa's game. Like, she's using the secrets that she has to, like, try and form connections with people. Like, do you, th do you see what I'm saying there? Yes, but I'm, I'm really unsure. I really had to feel about it because I think I have to watch it play out in the game first before I can, like, really decide if it was a good move or not. Because you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, absolutely. And so right now, I mean, opening up to Paul, Polly was, I think, the best you know, option because he's in the same position, except he was honest. Yeah. Um, so I think that was correct on her part. 
but I mean, I feel like she's going to have to be completely truthful with her allies, or else they're not going to trust her. Yeah, and that's something that I feel like just with that Vanessa or just that Rousseau genes in her, that's going to be something hard for her. It's going to be something that's hard for her. Like a Rousseau is always going to make her allies nervous. I think, Ugh. and I'm 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 yeah. getting that from Tiffany a lot. Like. So seventeen was just one big anxiety trip for everyone in the house. Like, <laughs> absolutely, you, you can even see it <clears throat> on on James and Davon's face whenever like Tiffany starts to cry and like accuse people, and they're like, <gasps> like they're having flashbacks. Well, it was an anxiety fest for everyone other than Meg. Because <laughs> I don't think Meg realized that she was on Big Brother. I think no. I think she thought that she just moved into a separate house for a while. It's like how I like to explain the brothers winning Big Brother Canada 4 in that they tried to get on to like a dating show, but they accidentally got locked inside of a, a house for three months. Uh, they spent the entire time trying to break out, but couldn't figure out how until eventually the doors finally opened. They walked out and some lady they had seen once before handed them a check for $100,000. They were very confused at what had happened. <laughs> uh but, uh, I just, I made a list of a few of, uh, Jose's quotes. Oh, let's read them. That come here. Um, I really liked this one because, you know, like I'm into some of like, you know, like the guided meditation shit. And I really feel like this was a, like a line that I could see out of that in that I am the CEO of my mind. <laughs> like. I just, I can absolutely imagine that. Just like, you know, got the tranquil music in the background. It's just like, remember, you are the CEO of your mind. Just like, I, I have no idea what he was going for. And honestly, like, okay, here's, a, well, here's what I want to do. I want you to tell me which one of, because I have three quotes here. I want you to tell me which one of them is the dumbest. The, so the first one is, I am the CEO of my mind. Uh, the second is... Jose says that he is the glue that holds people together. And uh, it was I think Polly asks him, uh, who? Who do you hold together? And Jose responds with everyone. I hold the whole house together. And the second or in the third was Jose decided that telling uh, Davon that he's the Messiah is not enough. And he goes on to tell more people <laughs> that he's the Messiah. I think which one of those three is the dumbest? In the context of the game, I think that the third one is the dumbest because it's one thing to be like delusional, but it's another thing to literally think that you are the Messiah and feel the need to tell everyone because that's not something a normal person does, like ever. Yeah, that's just that's strange. <laughs> you, you don't you don't do. That's just weird. Like, I don't know. No one should... Just don't say that. That's a weird thing to say. Like, regardless of your uh, religious affiliations, it's just a bizarre thing to say. And also, I didn't notice, I actually had a fourth quote that I want you to consider. Okay. That is, if everyone in the world stuck together, we'd have no fighting and no wars. So why can't we do that in this house? I'm deceased. That is That is my favorite one. <laughs> Because he literally forgot that there is evictions every week. <laughs> Jose has no idea what game he's playing. Well, actually, it makes sense because remember he said that in his inevitable HOH, 
people would just volunteer to be nominated because it's a gentleman's game. Now, I'm sure that uh, if Jose gets evicted in this uh, next episode, he's just going to be walking out of that house like, man, you know, uh, you know, the bachelorette, she didn't give me a rose this week. Uh, I really thought that I did it with her, but I guess not. It's just a complete, like, misunderstanding of what reality show he's on. I'm really hoping that he cusses everyone out and throws fits and, like, refuses to leave. And then security has to come in and drag him away. Uh, that would be the best. Uh, and then, okay, Jose holds the whole the whole house meeting deal. I mean, you know, okay, whatever. Like, it's never a good idea to hold a house meeting. I can't think of a time that's ever worked out well. Oh, dance funeral. Generally, get, generally okay, dance funeral. Good. There's, there's a couple of situations where it works. But I, you gotta be Dan <laughs> to make it work, pretty much. Uh, but, you know, generally there's a few rules, especially if you're... Uh, you're like you're trying to hold a meeting i guess house meeting isn't the right word he's trying to hold a meeting of his alliance which he thinks is basically the entire house for like three except for three people but you know whatever uh so he's trying to hold that and james just walks in the room who he knows he's fully aware as delusional as uh jose is he is fully aware that james is not in his alliance and he's just like, yeah, fuck it, why not? That's cool, you can stay in here for this meeting. And then they, just, they, they keep going with the meeting. And then Tiffany walks in. And she's like, yeah, it's cool too. Like, I'm sure this won't come back to bite me in any way. Like, how could that possibly be a problem? I I don't know. Like, I, you shouldn't allow... If, they're, if you're trying to hold a meeting of your alliance and someone from the other alliance walks in, stop! Don't just keep going! Don't just tell them exactly what your plan is. But I just, I don't think that's, I don't think Jose understands that. He's a very open player. He wants to let uh, everyone know what he's doing at all times. And it would just never really occur to him that he's supposed to, like, keep things secret. Because being honest and bold is what gets you far in the house, according to him. Mm -hmm. Because he has watched all of Big Brother history. You know, he's watched Frankie Grande clips and more Frankie Grande clips and what he gathered from that was that you just need to tell people the truth even whenever you're targeting the HOH before they've made nominations Ugh. <laughs> and then there's also the whole fiasco with Bridget where okay first off it was a dumbass idea to choose like you have all these people it's like which one do we want to spy on the other uh, like the other alliance we need to choose our most conniving, secretive, like, best liar out of the group. Uh, Bridget. Like, I don't know how they made that decision. And then the biggest problem was, when Bridget's up there, Bronte just openly says that, oh yeah, we sent Bridget up to go spy on the other alliance, while James and Tiffany are in the room. And Davon they and Zakia they, they yeah. know. They know that James and Tiffany are in the other alliance. I don't... I, I just... I don't... Bronte is just as bad as Jose, just as bad as Victor, just as bad as Paul. Like, I wanted to like Bronte, but Bronte is just horrendous at this game. Like, I, just, I can't get over how bad she is. I think they should have sent Natalie upstairs because she has a really good social game with the other alliance. Absolutely. And she would have been able to come up with some sort of lie, whereas Bridget was just like, yeah, I just uh, didn't want to be there. 
Yeah, she didn't. And when they asked her about it, you know, she it's like she almost just says like, oh, yeah, you know, I just came up here to. Sp- uh, <laughs> and then she just stops talking and just starts shaking her head and like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, just shaking her head no. She's like, okay, yeah, Bridget, I'm sure you're not doing anything fishy. She should have just been like, you got me. <laughs> uh, but I do, okay. I transcribed here a conversation between Polly and Jose. <laughs> okay. Jose. And I wanted, I wanted, I was trying to find a way to, you know, bring this up as a conversation piece. But I decided that the best way to do it is I'm just going to read everything that I have written exactly as I wrote it in my notes. <laughs> so it's going to be a long... It's, it's going to go on for a while, but just bear with me. Okay. This this really just sums up how just, just bizarre of a player Jose is. All right. So Polly confronts Jose about the meeting that Jose... Uh, about the meeting. So Jose begins to string together random words that don't seem to be, like, in an attempt to create sentences. He's just randomly picking words out of a dictionary and saying them. He says, That's the thing about scenarios. If we want someone out, we want them out. Point blank. So we have to find out when the scenario happens. Then Polly asks, Why wasn't I part of the meeting? Jose responds with, Because you were there. Stop being there and doing those things. We have freedom of speech. Then Jose finally figures out the answer to the bonus question on his first grade anatomy test, points to his mouth and says, this is my mouth. Uh, before then, he, I think he was certain that it was Michelle and not his mouth. Uh, Everyone is scared, but we run this house. This is what you must understand. Scenarios are scenarios. If you go off the block, we make a scenario. If someone else happens, if something else happens, we make another scenario. Some people want to keep some people. But I'm only one brain. I can only speak the truth. Polly then asks, What is the truth you're speaking? Uh, and then Jose thinks deeply and responds with, Scenarios. I feel like I should hold random meetings whenever I want to hold. That's how I feel. Ellipses. Now, ellipses is just because he said per- uh, said period like three times in a row. So I just assumed that's what he was trying to say there. That sounds like slam poetry. Like, that actually brought a tear to my eye. I just... I don't... I There are a couple of things that I left out to make this uh, funny, but that is almost word for word the conversation they had. I, it, I was dumbfounded listening to this. Like, just how awful he is at just communicating like on a basic level. Can we talk for a moment about how he tried to hold this entire meeting... In the dog costume from the veto competition, <laughs> and but it, uh, and oh my god, like Davon's DRs had me rolling because you know Jose is like standing up there and he's like, I'm like Obama, I'm like Jesus, and Davon's like, this boy is trying to hold a house meeting in a dog costume. Man, I want Davon to stay so bad. Like I'm gonna be so sad when Davon leaves the house. Oh, her DRs are like, so I, I'm good. I'm not I'm not sold on her as a player so much. But she's so good in the DRs. She reminds me a lot of... Uh, one of the best DR people. She reminds me of Brittany this season. Oh, that's a good one, Just yeah. Just because she's laying it down in the DR Although, room. I would... I don't know. I would argue that Brittany is probably a, a much better player oh. than Devon. Well, unless she's getting screwed over by a power alliance. Mm, good point. But <laughs> to be fair, that was, that was uh, Brittany's first time. 
She played a lot better. She didn't make it as far her second time, but I feel like she played well, a lot better. No, the second time she was the victim of Dan's funeral, and yeah, and it's just so. there's a certain amount of leeway you get for it's like, oh, you got evicted, that's not good. Oh, it was because of Dan. Well, okay, that's understandable. Dan and the brigade, like that's pretty pretty mm-hmm. good resume right there, you know. Yeah, like there's not those are two forces that you, it's hard to just stand up against those. And Vanessa, I'd say. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, next we see that. Paul does use the veto on himself, uh, which is, I mean, of course, that's what you would do. And then Frank makes Bridget the replacement nominee. Do you feel like that was the correct decision on Frank's part? Yes, because Bridget's part of the other side of the house, but she's also not forceful enough as a player to, like, stir shit up. Because, you know, if they had, if they had nominated, well, really, they didn't have any other choice, did they? Because Paul won veto, and... Victor and Bronte were safe. Natalie was safe. Like, they didn't really have any other choice. Like, at all. Yeah. It was just... He he was out of options. Like, he would have have to put up another pawn. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, like, technically Bridget was a pawn, but I meant, like, a pawn from their own alliance. The only thing that I would think would be even worth consideration, although it's not what I would go for, I think Bridget was the correct decision here, was he might have considered putting up Zakia. Just if they really, really wanted to uh, sell, that it's going to be, like, really sell that blind side. Mm-hmm. Because that would, assuming that the revolution would be able to pick up on such a nuanced concept, um, that it was clear, if Paul was put up, it was clearly someone on Nicole's side of the house that won the roadkill. So if they put up Zakia as the replacement, then... That per- they w- then Nicole's side of the house would have to consider Zakia an enemy, so that would further sell the idea that Zakia is on their side. Mm. So I guess he could have done that, but that's just too dangerous. It's like, week one. I don't w- I don't want to be in a scenario. Yeah, it's week one, and you have three people on the block, and two of them in- are your allies. Like that's just like nah, <laughs> don't that you're, that's just you're playing too risky. There's, just, there's no real downside to putting up uh, Bridget there. So I feel like, yeah, he just, he did the right thing. Not super exciting, but it's the right move there. So that's all the important stuff from the episode. So if you are only here to listen to the episode and you uh, talk about the episode and you don't want to hear anything about the live feeds, then I am going to ask for you to leave now. And if that is the case, thank you for listening. Make sure to follow or subscribe on the podcatcher you use to find this. And make sure to tune in again tomorrow. So for those who stayed, we're going to move on to the feeds portion of the show. But unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot to talk about with the feeds. Just because, I mean, it's all drama stuff, really. I mean, nothing really, nothing important happened just because... For so long, they've been set on what the plan is. Now, there, so everyone kind of just stuck with the plan. There are a few things outside of the game that I might want to talk about. Ooh, okay. So, Go for so it. So first I want to talk about James's pranks. Yes, that's a good one I, to bring up. I don't, I don't think we've really spoken about James's pranks on the podcast yet. Have we? No. Okay, so so for most of James's pranks, he's using food right so he's so he's putting mayonnaise in bronte's shampoo he's putting mayonnaise in natalie's hair face products he put crackers in victor's bed he put uh slices of bread in Corey's pillow he's wait hold i want to stop you here 
Okay. Yeah. Explain to me that prank. He put slices of bread in his pillow. Okay, so if you can imagine a pillow with like a pillowcase. Yeah. You know how like if you put something in a pillowcase, it's like next to the pillow and it can hold stuff. Yeah. So James would take like eight or nine slices of bread and put it in Corey's pillow. He did. But, he did this about three times. <laughs> what? I. What? What's the punchline? The punchline is that when Corey goes to bed and he puts his head on the pillow, he feels the bread. Oh, okay. I, I don't. I don't really get that prank. Um, well, see, it's not a very good prank. See, the problem with, with James's pranks this season compared to last season is that he's doing them way too fast and way too early now. Mm-hmm. Because if you can recall from seventeen, he really didn't start pulling pranks until like the jury phase. And also, in season seventeen, it was mainly just like, oh, I'm gonna jump out of a closet or from under some covers. Yeah. And now it's. Oh, my big prank is gonna... I'm gonna waste all the food for the house. Yes. Just like, that's a really yeah. dumb thing to do uh, if you're trying to Victor ingratiate Victor has gotten really mad because he's apparently the food manager now, and he hates it when people waste food in the house because that's just wrong. And, um... I feel like James is doing this too often because, I, you know, I, I monitor the feeds every day, all day, every day. And basically, he's been pulling about three or four pranks, like, every day. And not a lot of thought is really going into these. They're kind of just like, well, I can mess with people, so I'm going to do it now. And I'm actually getting kind of worried. I'm worried that people are going to turn on James because they're tired of his ass putting bread in their pillows. Yeah, I'm worried in the sense that it definitely could hurt his game. But at the same time, I can't say I really care that much. It's not like James is some great player that's going to be screwed over by pranks. <laughs> I mean, he's just an incredibly mediocre player that was going to screw himself over in some way or another. And he's just happening to do it by pranking people too much and in an obnoxious way. Also, one of the things that I really liked about his pranks in 17 was that every time that he did something, you could just hear Julia saying, James! Uh... And we don't get you know we don't get that in anymore. hindsight I don't think I appreciated the twins enough and I think part of that was because there was points where it looked like they might win yeah. and that scared me yeah but like knowing that they didn't win I appreciate the twins for the entertainment value they were actually a lot of fun like, everything they said was fun especially um, whenever they weren't around Austin <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure uh, I do want to one thing that happened that it's the thing. One of the things that bothered me the most, uh, because it happened with a player that I think is very good, and it was Frank kind of spilling the beans on the whole blindside deal to Bridget and Natalie. And I I didn't like that. Like, I sort of understand where he was going, uh, trying to use that as leverage to get in with Natalie a little bit more, and Bridget to an extent. But it just, I feel like it led to everyone being a bit more aware like the that uh, trio, the Spy Girls, were definitely aware that the blind side might happen, and I feel like that really leaked over to the revolution as well. Well, and I, just, I wish he hadn't done that. Well, you see, Brandon, if there was any alliance in Big Brother history that had you know any sort of awareness of the house whatsoever, that would have been enough for them to know that the blind side was going to happen. However. Once Natalie went to her alliance and was like, hey, um, 
I think the other side of the house is all up in the HOH room, and Polly's with them. And what happens? Victor is like, oh, no, nah, man, that's not going to happen. You know, we're, you know, the Jose, he's been with Day and Zakia since day one. They're not going to vote him out. Bronte was like, no, oh, we don't got to worry about, about, about Polly. He's solo dolo. And so Ugh. basically they all, it was, it was an alliance full of Megs, and they all told Natalie not to worry about it at all. And so Natalie knows, and I, w- I want to say that this is going to be the moment where maybe next week she might think about uh, flipping to the other side of the house because she's absolutely her, her alliance isn't doing her any favors. But I think these other people are so delusional that they wouldn't even consider that maybe their own alliance member bringing intrigue of a blind side to their attention. They didn't care at all. And that does uh, lead me into another thing on my list here is that Natalie has really, really been thinking about flipping on her side of the house and moving over to the eight-packs. Well, she doesn't know about the eight-pack, but just moving over to the veteran side. Specifically, uh, James and Frank. Yes, very much so. I, she's just... I Natalie is a smart player that just wound up on a bad, bad side of the house. And I think she's realizing just how terrible everyone she's aligned with is. And I think, like, I'm really, really hoping that she does make that move and switches over there. Because if that happens, like, you know, Natalie is one of, like, one of the characters I really like so far. And I feel like she has potential to go far in this game if she does make that switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of see her as like a, you know, I don't want to, I don't want this to come across as an insult in any way, but it's, a, it's kind of a parallel situation. She kind of reminds me of uh, Gina Marie from Fifteen. Okay. Where she started the game on the, the side of the house that was, like, reviled, hated, terrible at the game. But later she was able to jump ship and survive long enough to make a final two. But the problem there, I, where I think that Switch doesn't really make as much sense, is that Gina Marie was able to uh, not be targeted... Because she was such an awful, unthreatening player yeah. that no one was afraid of keeping Gina Marie in the it, house. It was a very vague, broad parallel. It's not like... Yeah. Because obviously Natalie is a much better person and a much better player. And I, I, root, I actually root for her. I didn't root for Gina Marie at any point in 15. Yeah. So. Okay, maybe this one might work a little bit better. Okay, shoot. Maybe uh, like a Drew Daniels style deal. Where in the beginning of the game, he was, like, really part of that Four Horsemen alliance that was terrorizing the house. You know, Jace and Scott were just unsufferable. But as soon as that started falling apart, Drew was really able to work himself over to that other side very strongly. And ended up turning that into a win. So I could see uh, Natalie pulling off something like that. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if she'll win... But I wouldn't be surprised if she can parlay that into like a final four sort of deal. I do see her as like a, a final five type of character. I, I do think that she's going to outlive the rest of Stupid Squad. I don't I don't see any of them staying longer than her except except maybe Bridget because they're just like they, I mean they're openly talking game in front of Bridget now. She's reached yeah. Victoria levels in the game where. She's, like, so non-threatening that there's no point anyone would waste any I would argue she's a little more threatening than Victoria. Maybe, like, Meg levels of non-threatening. I I think that she is, like, she has Victoria's gameplay with, like, Meg's 
Meg's uh, social game, I'd say. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, like a combination. I mean, she already looks like the love child of James and Meg that never happened. Absolutely. So, it makes sense. Grandma Meg 2.0. Yeah, another point I want to bring up is that, you know, I really wanted to like Bronte this year. You know, like, I thought she was very cute. I thought that she was going to be entertaining and kind of, like, endearing with her uh, personality and mannerisms. But Bronte's a bitch. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, she's awful. Like, is she the most racist house guest since Aaron? Yes. Yes, she is. I. It's, like, it's gotten really bad. Now, it's never gotten to Aaron levels of bad. Like, that's just... Mm-hmm. I don't think, at least I hope we'll never see anything yeah, like, me too. nearing I, Aaron Lewis. I really don't want to have another season like that. But, I mean, with her comments is like, uh, James needs to take his Korean ass back to Hong Kong. It's just like, Bronte, no! Don't say that. And, I just, I, it really bothers me. I don't like, and it's not even just that, uh, that. she's just mean to people in general. Mm-hmm. Like she was really just like digging into Michelle and making fun of her, and that's just kind of been what she does. She kind of just makes fun of people, and you know, like you have players like uh, like last year you saw Jason and Davon. You know, they talked a bunch of shade, but it was never just in the same. It was never on the way Bronte does, where Bronte does it because she wants to hurt people. That is her mm-hmm. goal. Correct. Like Jason and Davon, they were just bored, so they were just like talking a little bit of shit. Mm-hmm. I just. I really don't like what I'm seeing from Bronte at all. I feel... And yeah. I'm excited that she's probably going to be going home in a few weeks. I feel so let down because after, you know, the, the first first episode, second episode, I was really hoping that she could be like the female Johnny Mac. Mm, absolutely. But everything about her is so toxic. Not only is she just a terrible person, but I think that she makes Bridget worse. Than mm-hmm. she would be with if she wasn't there, and oh my god, she's just everything about her is cringe and rage. There's never a moment where she's on screen and I'm like, oh, lovely. Because I, Bronte yeah. is really becoming one of those players where if I see her, like on, if I see her <sighs> in one of the screens for the live feeds, I'll just switch away. Like I just I can't I can't watch her. I can't listen to her. It's just it's really really bad. Uh, we also, this just goes to show just one more example of how awful the revolution is. Paul came so close to using the veto on Jose. I mean, he really, really came close to using that veto on Jose. And what just a dumbass move that would be. It's week one. First off, there's never a week. There's never a week where it's a good idea to not use the veto on yourself if you win it. Unless... But you don't do it in week one. Unless the person you are saving is your fiancé or your daughter. Nah, fuck that. I'm trying to get 500,000. But... But I can see why they did that. Well, I think it makes sense for whenever Brendan did it in 13 was because he and Rachel already shared incomes and she had a better chance of winning, which she did. And so for him, it was more of like, I'm going to make sure that she wins because he's still going to win the money anyways. Ooh, okay. Because, I mean, they... And same thing, yeah. same thing with Dick and Danny. Well, I mean, yeah. not the shared income deal, but like I get it. It's his daughter. He's gonna yeah. use it on his daughter. 
I just... And the, but then you have always the most dumb case of Marcellus not using the veto because he didn't want to screw over Amy. You know, every time that I rewatch that clip, I don't really feel like Marcellus is dumb. I just, I feel for him because he's so sad. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's been in the house for so long and he's grown so tight with those people that, like, I can see where he's coming from. I mean, it's a terrible decision. No one should yeah. ever do that. But, like, I just pity him so much. And the one thing that I've heard that kind of made me understand that Marcellus decision was just that that was the first time in Big Brother history that anyone had the option of taking themselves off the block with Vito. And he just kind of viewed it as kind of just like a selfish thing to do, especially when he was on the block with his best friend. Mm -hmm. So he chose not to do it, not realizing that it would become just such a basic concept of Big Brother later. Yeah. So it's like I always cut people a little bit of slack when they're from those like first couple of seasons, just because they they just didn't have anything to go off of. Yeah. So, yeah, Paul, Jose, Victor, that whole set, Bronte, they're all awful. Uh, what I want to do now is I want to move into this is a new segment that I want to start doing, which is each uh, each episode we are going to have a couple of top five rankings that could be it could be rankings of like a variety of things. Uh, and the way it'll work is I make my top five list. Zach makes his top five list. If we have another guest, they make theirs. Uh, and it's a very simple system where uh, if you rank someone one, that's worth five points, two, four points, so on. Combine them together, person gets the most points, first place, so on. Sure, you get the idea. So I would like to move into the first ranking that we did, which was most likely to win. So... Right now we have a tie for fifth place, both with one point. So I want you to defend your pick as the fifth person most likely to win as Davon. Okay, well, from what we've seen with Day so far is that she's learned a lot of good lessons from last year when she was voted out second. Her social game is way better this time. She's really biting her lip every time that someone says something dumb. She has... Really good rapport with the other returnees because I mean, let's be honest, the four returnees are the strongest players in the game right now. Absolutely. And and so. Well, actually, I take it back. I'm not sure if I'm. Okay. Well, they're they're four of the strongest. Four of the strongest. So excluding James. And so, she has good rapport with all of them. She has good rapport with a lot of the newbies, especially Zakia. And she has the other side of the house convinced that she's one of them. And so I think that her social game is really really good. I think that she's capable of cutting deals and being on the right side of things whenever the APAC, you know, destroys itself eventually. But the one thing that I don't really care about her game, and this is why I put her fifth, is because she's, like, needlessly targeting uh, Tiffany a lot of the times. Because that's, like, unnecessary week one. It's unnecessary whenever you have a clear target already in mind with, with Jose. But... I can forgive her for that because it doesn't seem to have caused a problem large enough to really ruin her game so far. But the problem is, it's not just that she's targeting uh, Tiffany. She's also she's targeting Tiffany. She's also targeting Michelle some. She's had a lot of talks about, oh, we need to start thinking about when we're going to get rid of Frank, when we're going to get rid of James, Corey, Polly... Like, it's week one, and she's already had so many talks about turning on her alliance. Like, Davon is playing way too hard, way too fast. I think she's in a good position in the game right now, unlike last year. 
But I think, honestly, she's playing very similarly to how she played last year. Like, I think the one difference is she's biting her tongue more, which I like, and that's a huge step up. And I think that's why she's in a better position. But I still... She's also in the majority of lines. She's just not a good player. She's always going to be way too threatening. Like, I honestly, like, I expect uh, Davon to be out, like, and be, like, 11th or 10th place and be, like, very early jury. Like, I just don't see... She's really going to, like, paint herself as, like, the face of that side of the house and just become way too much of a target. And I feel like she's also just going to get her allies really, really nervous. And I'm just, I'm worried about her in that sense. I think if anyone, like, if we get to a scenario where, you know, it's the Fatal Five near the end and they want to break up and it becomes, you know, that Nicole, uh, Devon, Zakia side... The first person that's going to go from them is Davon every single time. Like, I just don't... I feel like there's players that are in a better position than Davon right now. Like, I think Davon... She definitely has more of a chance to win than, say, like, a victor. But I just... I don't know if I put her in my top five. Like, that seems kind of a stretch to me. So I'm going to move into my fifth most likely pick, which was Natalie. Now, at this point in time, Natalie is not in half the position that Davon is in. But I really like Natalie's game right now. Yeah, I would have put her at, like, 7th, like actually, if I'm being honest. That, yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I, she, like, she's very perceptive. Like, she was catching on to shit that, like, she really had no reason to be catching on to. It was just, like, purely, like, her skill in the game. I feel like she has a fantastic social game. I feel like she knows which side of the house she needs to be on. And I feel like she's done such a good job socially that not only does she want to move to that side, that the eight-pack side wants to take Natalie in with them. And if she can do that and complete that switch, I think Natalie's in a really, really pretty situation to get to the end, basically have a very, very strong chance to get to the end. Now, once at the end, once in that final four, final five scenario, I think there'll probably always be two, three players that are more likely to win than her. But I feel like just based off of the just sheer like probability of how often she'll be in a position like that down the end, that she has to be in my top five to in, uh, win this game. So... That's what we have, and we're, I guess there's no real way to come up with consensus for this ranking, so we're just going to leave it as a tie there. So we're going to move on to the person that we uh, have in fourth place, which is Polly. What do you think is the scenario where Polly wins this game? Um, I think Polly is a good competitor. I think that he's really good friends with a lot of people in the house. I mean, not the other side, but I mean... I think the fact that he's not even in the APAC, but he is in a better position than, like, half of them says something. Also, I just really like his charm. I think his charm is going to work wonders, and I like him as an improvement to Cody. Hmm. I enjoy watching well, him play. Okay, he's. I think he's a lot more entertaining than Cody, for sure. But, like, okay, I love his social game. I think that's very good. But he shows... Cody had a tendency to get very nervous when he was put in any sort of a bad situation, which wasn't very often. And I feel like Polly has that same tendency, just ramped up a bit, which I don't like. 
And I just don't view Pauly as an incredibly strategic player. Like, that does worry me. Now, I do. Like, I have him ranked as the fourth most likely to win at this point. So I'm, like, obviously think he has a decent chance. It's just, I guess I'm not entirely sold on him. I think if he does win, it's going to be more of the case. If he does win, no one's going to walk away like, wow, we got such an incredible winner this season. I feel like if Pauly wins, it's going to be a situation where it's like, I'm okay with who won the season. I, th- I think one of the things to keep in mind about Polly though, is that there is a good chance that he will probably end up next to a vet. If, good point. If he plays the game that he wants to play. And juries are notorious for handing it to a newbie over a veteran, regardless of gameplay. I Okay, I understand that, but the just the way the game is going right now, it's, it's looking like it's going to be uh, different from, say, season uh, 14, where there was only one veteran in that jury trying to sway them. It's looking like there is a very real scenario where we're going to see three or four uh, veterans in that jury. So I feel like with that many voices in there, I just I don't feel like it's going to be a problem. And even if it is, like where the rookies are like, eh, we don't really want to give it to a veteran. Well, if it takes, uh, it's going to take five votes to evict, or not to evict, five votes to crown the winner. Three of them will come from uh, other uh, veterans who aren't going to have that issue. So they only have to swing two votes. Like, I'm not terribly worried about, uh, like, a situation where a veteran doesn't win just because they're a veteran. So I don't I don't know if I would count that as a huge strength on Polly's side. But I do want to uh, move to the second place because we have a tie for our second place uh, most likely to win. Oh, wasn't there a third? Uh, or... Polly was fourth, and this is a tie for second, so this is... Like, second and third. See what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I understand. (laughs) Okay, so I want you... You had this person ranked a little bit higher than I did. So tell me why you think Nicole is the second most likely to win the game right now. I just really like her game. I like everything that she does. Um, I feel like after she got evicted twice because of Derek, she's really, really cautious about everything that she does in the game. I think that she has good reads on everyone, her, her own alliance and the other side of the alliance. She's just, I just really like her. <laughs> that's all. That's all I want to say about that. Yep, I kind of have like a similar view. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's three people in the game right now that look at this point to have a very good shot at winning, and uh, Nicole's one of them. She's in a fantastic place in the house. Uh, she has a great social game. You would think that maybe her winning this week one HOH might be a problem because she would look like the leader of that side of the house, but she's managed to dodge that. Uh, she's made a lot of very close allies. I just really like the position that, she's, uh, that she's put herself in. I guess the one worry and the reason why I had her ranked third and not second is just that I do wonder how strategic she's going to be down the stretch. Like, I do get, like, a little bit of, like, you know, like some Brittany uh, Brittany Haynes from Season 14 vibes. Where she's going to be playing a great social game. She's going to put herself in a very good position. But everyone in her alliance knows how good her position in the game is. So, if it comes to a point where they have to target someone in their alliance, I could see it being Nicole. And that's something that worries me. Because I don't think she has, like, I don't think she has the strategic, like, 
muster to get herself out of that type of situation. Well, because you say that, like, if she's in a situation where she's sitting pretty and her alliance would want to target someone, that they would target her? Why mm. didn't anyone in the Scamper Squad target Vanessa? That's a... I'm not sure. Because, good point. because it didn't even seem like it was an option for them. Like, yeah. they would always just take out the other person. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I'm, I'm hoping that Nicole would be in the same position, but it's very hard to fill the shoes of Vanessa Russo. Yeah, she's just not Vanessa, though. Like, I feel like maybe she can be at some. I mean, maybe not Vanessa, but like in a similar situation, she would be able to get out of that. Of that I think. Trouble. And I feel like she could potentially be better than Vanessa. I'm not the biggest Vanessa fan in the world because I really didn't like her social game. I think Nicole's is way way better. Oh, most definitely. But. I just, when it comes to a strategic scenario like that, like, the only player that you could even argue is being better than Vanessa strategically was Dan. So, I, mean, I just... Can we just relish in the moment that Dan was able to get Danielle to put her own showmance on the block for no reason? No reason at all? I That was, that was beautiful. Everything about that ending stretch from Dan was just so, so good. I was so upset. I wanted him to convince Ian to throw the final part, uh, to throw part three of the HOH comp. If he had done that and was able to take Danielle with him to the end, I wouldn't care. I really wouldn't care whether he won or lost that final jury vote. Like, that would just be the single greatest season of Big Brother anyone had ever put together. I think if Danielle had won Big Brother 14, I probably would have stopped watching. It would it that would have been tough. Like I, do, I don't love that Ian beat Dan. Uh, I don't love that Ian beat Dan. But you have to admit, Ian was a uh, pretty good player. You know, so whenever I look at Ian beating Dan, I kind of see it as like a David and Goliath type deal. So, c- yeah, kind of, kind of, sort of. Yeah, I see that. Uh, so let's move on to the other player that we have tied for second. And that is my personal pick for the most likely to win at this point. And that is Zakia. I really, really love Zakia's place in the game. Like, I don't think anyone has anything on where she's uh, placed herself in the game. Uh, she is in the 8-pack. The she is in the... Okay, she's in 8-pack. She's in Fatal 5. Uh, when Fatal 5 breaks up, you have 3-on-2 with Nicole, Davon, and Zakia versus... Tiffany and Michelle, so she's on the right side of that. Then when it gets down to that final three, or not, I'm not saying those are going to be the final like three contestants in the house, but when like the alliance is going to fracture and when that has become a side, if that happens, then Davon is always going to be a target over her. And when it's her and Nicole, Nicole's probably going to be a target over her. I feel like they're, it's going to be so long into the game until Zakia is the main target in the house. And the same is true for uh, like a player like Bridget, and I'm not putting Bridget anywhere near my uh, most likely to win list, but the difference between them is that while Zakia is going to be in the end basically every single time, like no matter like any scenario you can come up with, basically involves Zakia being there at the end. Yeah. I really feel like Zakia has the strategic muster to do it, uh, to be able to pull off that win. I think she can probably win a comp to uh, pull herself there. I think she's going to be able to convince other people to take her there if she doesn't win. Uh, she has this great social game. She has all the potential strategies. She's a super fan. 
so I know she has that going for her. I love that it, she has roads to get outside of the uh, eight pack if she needs to with Polly, and she's also you know she's uh, closer uh, than anyone else really to the other side of the house. She's also fairly close to Natalie if she wants to go that direction. Like I really, really love the position like that uh, Zakia is in. The only real complaint I can say is that she hasn't shown me that she's a great strategist. But it's week one. If you're showing me your strategy in week one, that means you can't be a great strategist. Because that's when you should be chilling. And that is exactly what Zakia is doing right now. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I think this is a, like, Zakia is one of those ones where it's not really going to be an argument over, like, is she good, is she bad? It's like, we both, like, recognize, like, she's playing a great game. She is my favorite newbie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I love Zakia. And she's, like, she's not as entertaining in the feeds as, say, Davon. Um, but, I mean, she gets pretty close sometimes. Like, she is a very entertaining player to watch as well. Uh, so let's move on to number one. This one was a pretty easily uh, our number one pick. You had him as the most likely to win. I had him as the second most likely to win, and that's Frank. Like I don't know what I don't know what to say. Frank is just playing an awesome game right now. Mm-hmm. Like I really love everything about his game. The only complaint and the only reason that I don't have him above Zakia is because he's not in that Fatal Five, which I really like. But even that, like he uh, he has that bro deal going with. Uh, Polly and uh, Corey, which I feel like could be strong. I feel like they can pull in Natalie. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they could pull in Paul later. Hmm. Like, I just, I really love Frank. Well, He, like, he, he is playing he, an amazing social game right He now. also has a final two with Nicole. Good point, final two with Nicole as well. But I don't, I don't know if that would be honored. Like, I feel like that's more of just the kind of, one of those final twos that you set up just to have well, out there. You know? Well, normally I would say that you're right, but... Considering that um, Nicole has said in her her preseason bio, I think it was for sixteen. I don't think it was for this season. That Frank is her favorite Big Brother contestant of all time. I feel like Nicole's too smart for that. She has to realize how good of a game that Frank is playing. I don't feel like she would make a mistake like that. Well, she she, she did say that she wanted to sit next to him in the final two, but that was after a few glasses of wine. So yeah. Um, you know, you could you could argue that her yeah, we'll her, see. her drunk words were her sober thoughts, but you know, I mean, yeah, we'll see. It's just Frank. His social game is amazing. He's going to be able to win comps down the threat, or, or he's going to be able to win comps down the stretch. But he's not presenting himself as a huge target right now. I feel like this team's twist works to Frank's advantage in a huge, huge way. In that he can beast out win the HOH competition for his uh, team, give himself safety, and then elect someone else to be the HOH so he doesn't get any of that blood on his hands and that people don't remember him as being that great competition player. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of like the ideal scenario for a guy like Frank. Like, I just, everything really seems to be, like, lining up for Frank right now. I mean, it's too early, it's week one, it's too early to say. But I mean, Frank is playing a very, very good game right now. So I'm going to move on to the second ranking that we did. And that was our of our most entertaining players. Just as far like, in my mind, what that meant is if we're looking through the feeds, 
like, and we see this person, are we going to, like, make sure to stop and listen to them for a while? Because we just like listening to them. So fifth on the list was Polly. Uh, what, how would you, in what way is Polly an entertaining player, would you say? I think he just has, whenever he's talking to people, he's, like, entertaining to listen to. Like, he has a wit about him. He's, he's just, there's something going on. He doesn't just sleep all day. Or he's not mean to people. Yeah, I agree. I, and I don't think Polly is, like, some amazing, like, amazingly entertaining player. But I think in a season where a lot of the players are either just bad or obnoxious, like, there's nothing really offensive about Polly in any way. And he does. Like, he goes out and he does things. He has conversations. He talks game. Uh, he's a generally funny guy. Like, it, he is definitely an enjoyable person to watch play Big Brother. So, fourth on the list, and this is one I really struggled with, because I can't figure out... I I kept switching uh, back and forth where, like, oh, I really wanted to have him on the list, and then I'm like, eh, maybe I don't want to have him on this list. But I ended up putting him on there. Uh, we have James at four. Uh... You know, James, I feel like James is a funny guy. I have to give him that. He's a very funny guy. All of his conversations end up being entertaining. The pranks can sometimes be entertaining, but they can also be my number one complaint with James. Is I feel like they just get obnoxious at times. Also, I just feel like... It, I A thing that I want to see out of a great or a great entertainer for a big, player, big Brother player for me is someone with some strategy... And James doesn't have any strategy. Like, that's just not how he plays. So I'm just, I'm not very, like, I'm not impressed by him in that sense. Like, why did you have James on this list? Uh, he's just a really genuine person. And uh, part of the reason why I also ranked him so high was I thought back to the way that he made me feel in 17. Because after he left, the feeds were, like, abysmally boring. And, you know, I can recognize that just the presence that he brings in 18 is kind of the same deal, where he's just, he's fun to watch because he's always up to no good. <laughs> and he's just nice, he's nice to people. I guess some of the stuff that I would say about Polly, he's just, a, he seems like a guy that I would want to hang out with if, yeah. I, if I was an in the important house. Thing, an important thing with James is that, and also, like, it's something that can be obnoxious at times, and a lot of fans kind of gripe with him about this. But James understands that this is a show for entertainment, and he tries to entertain the fans. Yes. Like, that is one of his main goals. Like, he wants to be an entertaining player. A lot of time, he holds that as being more important than being a good player. But I do. Like, I gotta give him credit for that. Like, he absolutely does try to entertain the fans. And, like, I, I give her a player like that respect. So moving on to third on the most entertaining list... I really, I had this person as my number one. You had them as your number five. I really feel like you ranked this person too low. It's Davon. <laughs> Davon yeah. is so entertaining. I love Davon. I love her. Like I love her on the show. Her diary rooms are the best of this season. I love her game talks just because she is, like, of the good players. She's the paranoid one that's always having kind of like the. Not really delusions, because she's a very perceptive player that generally knows what happens. But she's always talking game. She's always trying to come up with some great new strategy, even if you're like five days into the show. <laughs> yeah. And just Davon is so much fun. 
Like, I, I guess I can get it from the scenario, or from the idea that maybe she's not the best player, so you might not want to rank her too high, but I just, I love watching Devon. I'm going to be very sad when she leaves. Mm-hmm. So why did you have her ranked fifth? Um, it's really just a matter of, I only had so many spots that I could put people, and I, I don't want fifth place to sound like it's not good, because it, it really is. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Dave Vaughn, she's one of my favorite people on the feeds, I think that she's always so topical and uh, tongue-in-cheek whenever she uh, talks to other house guests, and I just, I love every interaction that she has with them. I love how, especially whenever you can tell that she wants to say something, but she won't because she knows that it's not the right move. How hard she's biting her tongue. I just think that's hilarious every time. <laughs> I, I, I love Davon. Mm-hmm. I really love Davon. Like, you could bring... I'd be okay with just bringing Davon back for each season. Like, you know that she's probably always going to go. Like, or at least normally going to go pre-jury. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about it from uh, screwing up the game since... She always just provides so much entertainment. I, I feel like there should be a twist from every every season onward that every house just has Davon and James, not necessarily like as as players, like they don't have to play at all, but just have them there to like be there. Davon would be the perfect coach. Like, I can't imagine anyone like more suited to be a coach than Davon. Hell, she could take Jeff's job for all I care. <laughs> I, I, I love her. Although I love Jeff, too. Like, I I love that Jeff is kind of just, like, the bumbling idiot that they use for it. <laughs> and I, I love that he's also kind of in on the joke, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I respect him for that. He plays it up a bit. Uh, so we're going to move on to number two on our list, which is Nicole. And for me, like, I find Nicole very entertaining. And I just kind of comes to the fact that... Nicole might be the most adorable person to ever walk the earth. Yes, I like, agree. Everything she does, like I feel like I'm squealing like a five year old girl. Just like ah, I love her. Just oh, I love Nicole. She's just, amazing. Just looking at her, I feel Brandon. I'm not sure if you can relate, but you ever know like whenever you're like 14 and you fall in love for the first time. And just everything yes. is so magical about being with that person. I get that same feeling every time that I look at Nicole. And it's funny because, you know, I loved her. She was my favorite in 16. I had a huge crush on her in season 16. And, you know, I felt like, I, ah, you know, it's been a year. Like, you know, I'm probably not going to like Nicole as much. And I was looking at other people as my favorites. It took, like, basically five seconds of Nicole being back in the house. I was just like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I love Nicole. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Just like, ah. Oh. She's adorable. I love her. I fucking, like, my, probably my favorite part from the feed so far, I don't know if you were um, online to watch this, but was when, um, basically, like, Corey and the bros were joking about, like, how are they, how they were going to get Nicole back. They were like, uh, Corey, uh, you should pretend to date her for, like, three years, and then, uh, then you're going to, like, get down and pretend that you're uh, proposing to her. And when you open up the box, it's just going to be, ha ha, this was all a prank. <laughs> and then you're just like, or, or you can just put her in a trash, uh, in a trash bag, put her in the trash can, just get like a baseball bat and beat the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there for that. <laughs> just all coming up with these like horrible things they could do uh, to her. And the whole time, like Nicole, like they don't realize this, but Nicole is like spying on them and listening to everything they're saying. 
and it just becomes a big like joke fight between them and i just that was an amazing moment with her i love i love the relationship she has with cory i don't love cory so much but i think it's very cute like i've brought this moment up before i loved when uh you know she was venting to davon about how everyone thinks i have a crush on cory but you know i just think he's attractive is there anything wrong with that <laughs> davon's like no no there's nothing wrong with thinking he's attractive He's like, and you know, I just, I think he's a nice guy, but I think lots of guys are nice. Like, is there anything wrong with that? It's just like, Devon's like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with uh, you thinking he's a nice guy. And also, you know, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you want to kiss him. You want to hug him. I don't I just, she's so cute. I love Nicole. Um, there's not much to say. Because it's not really a, a very nuanced deal. There's like only one factor that really goes into she, uh, her being so entertaining. It's just that she's adorable. Did you like see? She really, the, really. Is. Did you see the part where the guys tried to abduct her? No. Okay, so it was it was Polly, and James, and I want to say Corey. I want to say it was those three. It was a it was a few days ago, so it's been a while. But basically, like one of them called her into the other room, and then Polly came out with like a huge blanket, and they tried to like wrap her up and steal her away. <laughs> But they were unsuccessful because she wiggled out and ran back to the kitchen. <laughs> the whole thing was like watching like my younger cousins play around together. It was so heartwarming. I loved it. Uh, all right. We need to move on <laughs> to uh, our number one, which is, again, the same players we had is most likely to win. is also our most entertaining. So I think you can tell who the favorite of the podcast is. And that's Frank. Mm-hmm. And Frank, I just like, first off, he's a very funny guy. I think a lot of his stories are very, uh, very entertaining. But the number one thing I love about Frank is just he really sets a great vibe in the house. Like he has the, everyone kind of looks up to him. He's I think he might be the oldest person in the house right now. Um, uh, I think you're I think you're correct since Glenn's not there. And if not like he might be like a couple of months like younger than like Tiffany or something, but he's at the very least he's very close. And you know, he was a veteran that made it far in his season. Like, so he has kind of this this position of power. Like, people listen to him. Like, people respect him. And he uses that just to create a very good vibe in the house. Like, when things are lighthearted, he uses that to just, you know, make it a, a situation where everyone's having fun. And he always wants to include people. He never wants people to be mean. I know there was a day where uh, just Bridget was feeling very, very down. Because she felt like she didn't really have anyone in the house. No one was talking to her. And Frank just, like, went to everyone in the uh, eight-pack alliance and was just like, like, guys, just like, I'm letting you know, tomorrow we're going to be hanging out with uh, Bridget. It's just, we're doing that tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been down, and I, I don't want her to feel down. We're not going to let that happen. Uh, we're not going to let her feel alone. There was, also, then, there was also that moment where Michelle was very, very uncomfortable about her body because of the pixels. Yes. And he just sat there with her for a long time, just consoling her and making her feel better. Just, like, really stand-up guy type stuff. He's so nice. Mm -hmm. I really like... And also, just entertainment-wise, he has it going for him that he's a great player, too. Mm -hmm. Like, Frank really has the whole package for an entertaining player. Yes. Like, he, he falls short of maybe, like, the most entertaining players of all time. You know, he's not quite on that, like, Dr. Will uh, level. Uh, he's not quite on that Brittany Haynes level. Not on, like, the Janelle. But, like, outside of that, like, he's one of the most entertaining players uh, I've 
ever seen. And it shows because, I mean, he's already coming into the season as a winner of America's Favorite. Yes. And he's being entertaining in very different ways, too, which is interesting. Like, before, in season 14, he was America's Favorite because, like, he was aggressive and he would call people out. And he was the underdog that had the great story where every single week he was either put up or was or put up on the block or HOH. And I know a lot of people hear that and think that that's hyperbole. And we're saying that that was true for most weeks. No, it was true for literally every single week of the game. He was either the HOH or he was on the block. Yeah, this was the first week that he was not nominated in his entire I, It's amazing. Career. Yeah. And there was only two times. There was only two times where he was able to win the veto and take himself off. Um, and those were the two times he was able to vote in season 14. Mm-hmm. Both times he voted for the wrong person, the person that ended up staying. So this was officially the first time um, in Frank's uh, Big Brother career where he actually voted for the person that was evicted. Which is kind of amazing because he made it to final seven. He made it to final seven without ever casting a vote for the person who got evicted. <laughs> like That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just there's not a ton more to say about Frank. Like He's just... Really, in all aspects, he has everything going going for him. Yes, as an entertaining player, I th- the one area where I'd say he might fall short is that he isn't the best in the DRs. He's a little bit just like bland in there. He has said that when it comes to DRs, and he told the other house guests this, is that he just goes in and he tells production what he knows they want to hear, just so he can get out because he doesn't like being in there. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Oh, and another thing, I don't even I can't believe I forgot to bring this up. Is that I don't think he's been doing this every day. I only saw him do it once. But he is doing the thing where uh, in the mornings, sometimes, he'll get up before everyone else. He'll get a thing of coffee. And he'll just go into the backyard by himself and just talk to the cameras and just explain what he's thinking, like what he's trying to do in the game. Yeah, I love that and I so really much. love that. Can... Steve did a very similar yeah. deal last year, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I love it when players do that. They care for us. <laughs> mm. So that's all we have for oh, I today. Have, I have one, oh, go on, go one on, more thing. Go on. So I've been thinking about this all week. Who does Paul remind me of? And it finally occurred to me when I was watching the Wednesday night episode. Who? You, do you watch Always Sunny? Uh, I've wa- I haven't watched every episode, but I've seen a lot okay, of Okay, so you're familiar with it? Yep. Paul reminds me a lot of Mac. Okay. Like he has, oh, I think... That's... Fascinating. Okay. I think he has like Max social game, but he plays like Charlie. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because he, he does okay. the same thing, you know, where he gets in people's faces and he kind of like shakes his head like from side to side and he's like, listen, we got to do this. This is the only way. Like, that's so Mac. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. Not going to put Paul on my uh, most entertaining or most likely to win list, though. I mean, who? I mean, who does besides Andy? Andy really likes Paul, but I think that's for the to play up his villain. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Although I will, I do think that Paul, like of that revolution side, Natalie easily the best. Paul is also an easy number two, though. Yes, I agree completely. Like he has, like he, and it's weird. It's like it's almost like a, a Jekyll and Hyde sort of deal. Where there'll be times where he's basically just as bad as Jose. And then it's just like, he'll also have like moments where it's like he gets the game and he's able to read the house. But it's just, 
those times just never really last. So maybe with uh, Jose going here, uh, we'll be able to see him like become his own player and not be so insane. Also, what I hate about him is that I have never seen anyone come on and just bash the fans of Big Brother on the live feeds <laughs> like them. Like, what is he trying to pull? He's like, he's like, they need to get a life. They need to stop wasting their time with this show. And I'm like, uh, and right. just like openly saying that, like, you shouldn't even bother watching uh, past seasons if you want to be good. There's nothing you can learn from past seasons. You can't study the strategy of Big Brother. LOL. It's just like, uh, it's like, sure, because eight of the last ten winners were huge fans. Who was the so who I, was the last recruit to win? Uh, the last recruit to win, I want to say it was Hayden. Yeah, in season twelve. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. I, you, okay, you could sort of argue. I think Rachel was a recruit. I feel like um, returnees. In season, returnees in season twelve. Though. But yeah, that's why I kind of count her as a fan, just because, yeah. like, she's a huge pillar of the Big Brother community now. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a returning player. It's just, it's just different. Um, so yeah, I definitely like the only ones I can really think of in the last ten years or so. It's different before then, like pre All Star, like All Stars, and before that. Yeah, just because like it was so new, like, yeah, like you can't. Like, it's hard to get on and say Will was not a fan. Yeah, yeah, Will wasn't a fan. Lisa wasn't a fan. Like it was just, it, it was too early. But like only Hayden and Jordan like weren't fans. Mm-hmm. Actually, it Adam might have not been. I, I want to say he was, but I'm not very familiar with season nine. All I, rem- so. all I remember is that Adam went to jail. <laughs> yeah, that was just. But apparently, like apparently he's out now. Yeah, he is out. Yeah, you heard it here so, first, folks. Adam is out. Where are we gonna see? Or finally gonna see that all winners season? I don't think a single winner is gonna come back. <sighs> I, I, actually, I take that back. Derek said that he might, but I don't think he will. I feel like, I feel like Andy would probably be willing actually, to come back in scenarios. I don't know if they want Andy to come back. They though. contacted Andy about eighteen. They wanted him to come back, but he said no. That's interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, because you know he's like, I think the thing about him is that he's so comfortable like commentating now that he just doesn't want to go back. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I get that. Plus, he has like a real job. Yeah. And also, uh, all winter season will never happen, just because that would require, like, you would think that their big issues would be, uh, you know, casting someone like uh, Adam, who went to jail, or, like, some of the, you know, more terrible winners, but they would never cast June again. There's literally no scenario where June would ever get to be back on Big Brother. Like, I, and, like, I'm I'm definitely on Team June, Uh, more on Team June than I am Team Julie with that whole uh, fight there, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, she's she does not have a good relationship with CBS at all. Also, like, uh, she's not going to be on. E- legally, Evil Dick cannot come back because of his HIV. Good point. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. he had to leave thirteen. Still more likely that he gets on than June. Though. Oh yeah, and one hundred percent. Because I mean, at least there's the scenario where they could uh, maybe like just they cure HIV in the next few years, <laughs> and then he gets on. Uh, that's significantly more likely than uh, them letting June back on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But okay, I'm gonna call the episode here. All right. Uh, been going on for too long. Uh, the fans so... love us. We're the messiahs. <laughs> Both the messiahs. Mm-hmm. One more thing, I really want uh, I really want uh, Jose to come back. And just finish the prophecy 
of the Messiah coming back. He's going to turn slop into wine. <laughs> okay, okay, we got to go, we got to go. All right. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening to Floaters Grab a Podcast. Make sure to download or follow on whatever podcast you use to find us. Make sure to tune in again tomorrow. So, bye. Bye.